message that I thought was a standalone message and come to find out it's not. And uh, so today I'm going to continue along the lines of what I had started last week, which was really, uh, I entitled it, The Power of Relationships. You know, and if you don't think relationships matter, just have a bad one. And you'll find out real quick, they do matter and it does make a difference. And so we shared several things last week about this and uh, you know, and really I shared with you about that, that no relationships are neutral. In other words, they affect us positive, negative, good, bad. They're either helping us move up or they're pulling us down. I mean, that is true. You know, I was talking with somebody earlier this week and they were like, man, after your message yesterday, it was a Monday or Tuesday, they like, man, I'm questioning every relationship I have. I'm like, well, it might be a good thing. You know, I mean, you don't want to be paranoid, but you do need to assess at times and say, how are the people around me? Who are the people that I'm in relationship with? How are they helping me or hurting me? You know, because the Bible says we need to be what? Wise as a serpent, but innocent as a dove. In other words, I don't want to be foolish. Why? Because Proverbs is pretty clear. Foolishness gets you hurt. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want you hurt. I doubt anybody in here is like, yeah, that sounds good. Let me get hurt. No, nobody wants that. Um, and, and so, and sometimes we can actually even look at this type of a topic as a negative thing. In other words, like, hey, don't be around bad people. More importantly than not being around bad people, more importantly is to be around the right people. To be around good people that add value to your life. And I don't mean just good people. I mean spiritual people. In other words, when you're in a tough spot, somebody who's not just going to rub your back and say, Oh, it's okay. I'll cry with you. Somebody who's actually going to tell you what God's word says. That's going to give you the truth of God's word and say, Hey, we're going to believe God. And this is going to begin to shift. And this doesn't have to stay this way. And it may have started this way, but our God rewrites stories. And we need people in our life. Not just on the good days, we want to celebrate, but I need friends on my bad days. And I need people that can come alongside of me and help me. Why? Because I need help. My name is David and I need help. (laughs) And guess what? So do you. We all need help. We need people in our life. And so last week we talked quite a bit. About a few things, I don't want to get back into all of that, but one of the things that I'll tell you, and this is just the truth, is that the quality of your relationships actually determine the quality of your life. if 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 you're not satisfied with where you are right now in your life, it is directly connected to the relationships that you have. So if you don't like it, change it. It's within your ability. And you're like, well, I don't know anybody. Show yourself friendly and you will have friends is what Proverbs says. Put a smile on your face. You know, it takes more muscles to frown than to smile. In other words, God designed you to put a smile on your face, not to frown. You have to work at it to frown. It's true. And and so show yourself friendly. You're like, well, that's not my personality. You were born with a personality, but you were born again with a new nature. And no matter your personality, look, and I say that as somebody who is awkward and introverted. And so I have to choose what's important to me. And sometimes I have to step outside of myself to do what's good for me. And so we've been talking about this. And so last week I shared this with you is that God places, I believe that God places people in your life for a reason. Sometimes it's for a specific moment, a moment, a season, and some are for a lifetime. You know, and so there's times that God has brought people into my life and then they have exited my life. So they were there for a season because they helped me in that moment. They helped me develop, grow or whatever. And then I have people that I've been walking with for even some longer than my Christian walk. I mean, we're, we're lifetime friends, but that's not the norm. But what can happen is, is that we can actually have the thought, well, if we're not friends forever, like I'm a super loyal person by nature. And and so I can have the thought that says, if we're not committed long-term to one another, I don't want to invest the work to build a relationship. You know, when Darren and I first went into full-time staff church ministry, we moved to a military town. And so it was a smaller town, but it was a training base. And so the town was like four or 5,000 people and the training base had somewhere between, well, at its peak, it kind of ebbed and flowed because a lot of things were six weeks, nine weeks, 12 weeks, whatever. It would... the I'll say it this way. The town would swell to like forty or 50,000. 
And I noticed this with these military families. Is that there were two types of people. Specifically, we dealt with teenagers. And many of them knew, like their parents would get sent there because they would be instructors or whatever. And they'd be like, we're here for 14 months. We're here for 18 months. We're here for nine months. Whatever they knew what their assignment was. They knew how long they would be there. And I saw really distinctly two different types of people or two different approaches to knowing that you're moving. How about that? Knowing that, hey, this is just a short season. Is there were people who said, I'm going to go all in because I know time is short. And I'm going to squeeze everything I can out of this relationship because in six months I'm out of here. And then I also, on the other side, was people who said, well, I'm only going to be here six months, so I'm not going to invest. So what you have told me is that the next six months of your life could be wasted. And that's okay. You've got six months to burn. And we approach life that way, every one of us. But it was a very clear distinction in that environment. Like, I will never be my best alone, ever. And neither will you. And so even in the idea of like, well, I don't want to make the investment into this relationship. You know, I know that they're just here for a season. Wisdom would tell you to make the investment. You know, I encouraged you last week to what to try to trust. Why? Because it requires trust to invest in people. To put yourself out there, to open yourself up. And some of you are already like recoiling. Like, nope, I've done that. I ain't doing it. I've been hurt. Okay, Here's another truth. If people can hurt you, people can heal you. If people have the capacity to hurt, people have the capacity to heal. Like, well, I don't believe that. Go read James 5. I go to God for forgiveness, confess my sins to the Lord that I would get forgiven, and then go and confess my sins one to another. What? So that I may be healed. So God's plan is not just me and him. It's me and him with some people. Why? Because we all have blind spots. We do. We have areas of our life, of our nature, of our character, of our personality that we just don't see. Or maybe we see it and we think there's nothing wrong. And somebody's like, hey, you need to work on that. And we need these voices in our lives. See, we have to have somebody who, what, sees our backside, our blind spot. In the military, there's a term. Do you have my six? Now, some of you know what that means. If I'm a clock, I'm looking at 12 o'clock. Who's got my six? Who's got my back? My question to you is, who really knows you? Not the you that you put on for everybody. I mean, like, I heard one time, it was funny, and they said, you know, the different classifications of a friend... Because I believe that this does really matter. And again, we're talking about spiritual friends. We're not just talking about just natural relationships. I mean, somebody that can pray for you and that the prayer matters, like a prayer that honors God. But I heard a, 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 a little thing one time, or I read it or whatever, and it was like, you know, there's different levels of friendship. You know, like the friend that you're like scrambling to clean the house before they come? They got to do all this stuff. Yeah, he's got to look spotless. Those aren't friends. Those are people you're still trying to impress, Right? How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? They leave and you're like, I don't know where all our stuff is. But the house sure looks good, you know. And then you got this next level of friendship. And you're like, ah, they're bringing their kids. They're going to mess it up anyways, right? You might move some stuff around on the couch for them. Like, mm, there's some clothes. You know. But then you've got this next level of friend that you didn't shower, you didn't brush your teeth, you're sitting on the couch with all the, the clothes around you, hoping that when they get there, that they love you enough that they're going to start folding the laundry, <laughs> they're going to start picking up. How many of you know that the Bible says that a friend is born for adversity? And some days laundry is an adversity. But it's a different level of friend. Like, you're not trying to impress them. You're like, look, if you want to, just don't even come if you're looking for that. No, we're in. We need those kinds of relationships. Like, let me say it another way. I need people to know me when I'm off. 
like sums up. What's wrong with you? You okay? Something we need to talk about? You're like, I don't want nobody prying into my life. You will only be healthy as a person with healthy relationships. And the more healthy relationships you can have, the better off you're going to be. Why? Because sometimes you just need somebody to talk things out with. I mean, you ain't got to have the smartest friends. If they can listen, many times they'll do. Okay? Now, sometimes you do need a, a friend to give you some wisdom, but sometimes you just need to talk it out. You need to vent. You just need to... Let me word vomit on you real quick and then just, sorry about that, apologize. Have you ever had to apologize to somebody because you vented on them? Am I the only one? Let me see, got a couple honest people in here. How many of you should have apologized for venting on somebody? Yeah. No, it's important. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 gives us uh, an example here. This Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon, who is, according to Scripture, the wisest man who ever lived, also the wealthiest man who ever lived. One of the interesting things about Solomon is, is that God came to him and said, Hey, what do you want? I'll give you anything you ask for. And he said, Give me wisdom. And what's interesting is that resources followed wisdom. Wisdom does not follow resources, though. You can have a lot of money and be pretty foolish. But when you have wisdom, it directs your steps, directs your life. And, and so here he's, he's kind of going through a discourse here of several things because in his wisdom, he's like, man, this is pointless. That's pointless. Like this doesn't make a difference. All these different things. And he says here, starting in verse 7, he says, I've, deserved, or I've observed yet another example uh, of something meaningless under the sun. He says, this is the case of a man who is, everybody say the highlighted word there. All alone. Alone. You're going to see this word a lot in these next five verses. Alone. He says it's meaningless to be alone. There's no purpose. There's no, there's no like anything moving you forward. And so it says this is the case of a man who is all alone. Without child or a brother. Yet he works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. It says but then he asks himself. Who am I working for? And why am I giving up so much pleasure now? In other words, what's my why? Why am I working so hard? Why am I striving so hard? Why am I pushing so hard when I got nobody? I'm all alone. He goes on, he says, it is all so meaningless and depressing. If the goal of your life is to work, to make money, to arrive safely at death, it is meaningless and depressing. And yet many of us, that's the way we approach life. Is I want to arrive safely at death with money in the bank. Does that sound like an inspiring goal to anybody? Look, and I believe in hard work. I believe in having money stored away. The Bible tells, I'm not saying to be foolish or careless. That's not what I'm saying. But if that's the goal, that's a horrible goal. We ought to live a life that glorifies God in our finances, in our life, in our family, in our community, in our church. We ought to be investing in those around us and having other people invest in us. Why? Because he says if you live that way, it's just meaningless and depressing. That doesn't sound great. He goes on, he says, two people are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. You know, it is possible to have a relationship where both sides win. There are some one-sided relationships, and we need those. We need to be investing in other people. When all we do is receive, especially even in the context of church, and we're like, Lord, just bless me, take care of me, provide for me, do all this for me, give me your peace, give me your joy. Just, you know what happens? It's like a river that gets dammed up. Before long, life begins to die. We have a, a, a body of water called the Dead Sea, and it's called the Dead Sea for a reason. But if it's just come to me, Lord, do for me, Lord, bless. Like we become very <clears throat> self-focused. And yet here, <clears throat> the Bible tells us is that two are better than one. For they can help each other 
succeed. If one falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. It says, likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? I can remember as a, as a boy, not much older than my son is now, as me and my dad, he would take me squirrel hunting. I was a little boy, and so we'd go out, you know, early in the morning, and I'm out there, and I'm like shaking, just cold. And he'd grab me and say, hey, come here. And he'd take his jacket and wrap it around me and pull me in tight. It didn't take long, and I was asleep, you know. It kind of worked well, because he'd, be like, he'd wake me up and be like, hey, there's a squirrel. I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> Probably not the best combination, half awake, here's a gun, you know, but I'm not questioning his parenting abilities, but, but he what? He was able to keep me warm. Why? Because he brought me close, right? And there are times that our relationships become cold because of distance, which tells me that we have to be intentional. I have to be intentional in my marriage. I have to be intentional with my friends. One time I had, well, I mentioned him last week, so I'm, I, I complimented him last week. I'm going to rat him out this week. My buddy Trey is one of my closest friends. We've been friends for a long time. And, uh, you know, but I I came to realize one time that I always called him. Like I was, it was just one way. I was calling him. I was, we're good friends. But one day I was like, you know what? I'm just not calling him. I'm going to wait until he calls me. And I don't remember a month or two went by. I mean, and this is something I talked to once or twice a week. And I mean, some months go by and he calls me and says, hey, how come you ain't been calling me? And I said, well, the phone book works both ways, apparently. And I was like, you need to be a better friend. And he's like, oh, come on. And I'm like, the phone works both ways. Man. You can call me too. You know, and we kind of laughed about it. And I just was kind of jabbing him a little bit. You know, but there is something about that is that, man, we need people. And if relationships are cold, we can affect it. Let me say it this way. If my relationship with Dara becomes cold or distant, I'm responsible to change that. I mean, biblically, she responds to my actions. So if she's cold, it's my fault. If she's distant, it's my fault. You're like, yeah, but she... What does the Bible say? The Bible puts that burden on me as the head of the household. It got real quiet. (laughs) Like awkwardly quiet all of a sudden. But just like that with a friend, like, well, I don't have any friends. When was the last time you called your friend? When was the last time that you reached out to them? When was the last time that you tried to build a new relationship? Because I believe that you can pray and ask the Lord, bring me friends. I did and he did. I prayed and asked, I need the right friends in my life. I need the right voices in my life. I need the right influences in my life. And God brought people into my life. Now, did it take longer than I wanted? Absolutely. I was hoping when I prayed that there would be a knock at the door. Hi, I'm so-and-so. The Lord sent me to be your friend. That would have been a little weird. And I probably would have just shut the door and be like, we're not going to be friends. Like, that's, that's a little weird. The scriptures go on here and they say that a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. So when you're isolated, beware, you can be defeated alone. It says, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And it says, and three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And this is very true. And we see this even all the way. You go back to. Adam in the garden in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, Jesus is, I'm sorry, the Lord is looking at, at Adam. He's in the garden of Eden. It's, it's an, a perfect environment. Like, perfect. No sin, no flaw, no nothing. All the animals are there. Adam is there. The very presence of God is there. He's talking with God face to face. Having conversations. And in perfection... God looks at Adam and says, Adam, you're, you're missing something. It's not good for you to be alone. He said, my translation, Adam, I'm going to make you a friend who's just like you. To help you. Why? Because Adam needed help in perfection. So here's a thought for you. 
If relationships were so important in a perfect world, how much more are they important in an imperfect world? If Adam needed relationship, how much more do we? And the quality of our, let me, let me just help some of you. The quality of your relationships is in direct relation to your level of honesty. You can't fake it and have real relationships. You can't stay at the surface and have real relationships. Why? Because that's shallow. That is not what biblical relationship looks like. We need people that will come alongside of us and to challenge us and to spur us into good works, the Bible says. And say, hey, there's more in you than you're you're giving out right now. We need people to call out the gifts and the callings and the destinies on the inside of us that we can't see, but other people can. And so sometimes we need somebody to kick us in the rear and say, hey, get up, get moving. Quit doing this. Quit saying that. Quit acting like this. We don't always like that, but then there are times where people are like, hey, you, you've got this. You can do this. Let me remind you what God spoke to you. Let me remind you what God has told you. You're like, well, let me give you a scriptural basis for this. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy, he said, go to war with the prophetic words that have been spoken over you. In other words, Timothy, remind yourself of what God has said. What is Paul doing? He's telling Timothy, remember what the Lord said. A real friend will encourage you. Hey, remember what the Bible says. This is what God spoke to you. Remember that time that you were telling me that you felt like the Lord was leading you into this new job and now this new job's really hard and you're like, I just want to quit. I think I missed the Lord. I had that conversation last week with a friend. Lots of pressure and lots of stress. Going, man, I I think I have just blown it. His particular instance is that he couldn't get a job. And he's freaking out in his thoughts. Got his first baby on the way. You men know exactly what I'm talking about. The weight and the pressure and the stress. And I let him talk for a little bit. And I let him get it out for a little bit. And I told him some things. And I shared some, just a little bit of wisdom from my own experience. Because I've been there. I know all too well what it's like to feel the weight of that. And then I prayed with him. And he was like, man, I don't know what to do. And I told him, I said, I think you need to fast. He's like, do what? I'm like, go read your Bible. It's in there. I said, if you're desperate enough, food's not that important. This was like on a Thursday. He's like, all right, I'm going to fast Thursday, Friday, Sunday. And he's calling me. He's like, you know, because he'd had this uh, interview. And he's like, should I call him? Actually, do I said, you need to calm down. You got to trust the Lord. And man, he's just, you know. I'm like, calm down. I kept telling him that. Calm down. Calm down. (laughs) You know. I mean, this is a grown man and he's on the phone crying with me. So remember when I talked about being honest. And I shared some things with him about even what I believe God does in the process. Because many times, just share a little bit with you here. Is that God will get us to our breaking point to say, you done yet? You ready to trust me yet? Because you've been trying to do this and that's what he was doing. You've been trying to work this out. You've been trying to figure this out. We prayed. The next day he got a call. and said, hey, we want to offer you a job. Here's the package. Here's the benefits. Here's all the stuff. Can you start Monday? It's not because he called me and I prayed. It's because he got a right perspective and started trusting the Lord. I just facilitated and kind of helped him arrive at the place. Okay, I'm going to just trust the Lord. I'm going to stop trying to figure this out in my head. We need friends when we're freaking out. We do. See, in Scripture, we never see where there's lone rangers. Now, we love the characters in movies, you know, the superhero. They just fix everything by themselves. They don't need anybody. 
I mean, the most accurate depiction, think of Batman. Who was his man in the cave? Who? Alfred. Oh, we just thought Batman was amazing. But who made all that stuff? See, throughout Scripture, every time God calls somebody to something, he brings people around them. Moses is called to lead the children of Israel. And Aaron and Hur come beside him. I mean, Moses couldn't talk. And so he's like, Aaron, come next. You go talk for Moses because he can't talk. He's got a stuttering problem. That's really in the Bible, by the way. And at one point, there's a, vic- there's a, a battle waging. And God had told Moses, you, you raise up your hands. As long as you hold up your hands, there's going to be victory. Well, he gets tired. And Aaron and her, they come and support his arm so that the plan of God could prosper. Moses could not do what God had asked him to do by himself. And neither can we. David gets all this acclaim. Oh, he killed Goliath. He was a, a great conquering king. Yeah, but he had 30 mighty men. Go read about them. Now, they weren't mighty when they came. They were actually kind of rejects in a lot of ways. But they got around him and all of a sudden, those who were rejects all of a sudden became powerful, mighty men of God. And their exploits are written in Scripture. A dude fought so long with the sword, the Bible says that his hand was froze to the, to the sword. And he won the battle. That's my kind of dude. I like that fella. There's a book with this title, but one of David's mighty men. I love this scripture though, but it says that there was one day on a snowy day that one of David's mighty men, Benai, chased a lion into a pit and slew him there. I'm not sure the biblical context of that, but it's pretty awesome. I mean, you're going to chase a lion into a pit in the snow and like, let's go. And then he crawls out victorious. It's a great book, by the way. I'd encourage you. Mark Batterson, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. It's one of my favorite books. Probably is my favorite book. Even if you hate reading, you should read that book. It's really about living a life of faith. It's, it's, I love it. So, But there really are no lone rangers. Last week, I, you may not remember this, but I talked about old Phil and Herm that had abandoned Paul. And it says that all those from Asia have abandoned me except for this one guy named One Sephora. He says, and he came to me multiple times to encourage me, to strengthen me. We talked about that, but Paul wasn't alone. He was alone in that moment. And actually, if you go read uh, Romans chapter 16, Paul like, starts giving shout outs to all of his peoples. He's this person and that person. In 27 verses, he credits 33 people. Say, hey, they were with me and they were doing the work of the Lord and they're a mighty woman of God. I mean, he's just like doling it out. Like, man, these people are amazing. Paul didn't do it by himself. He always had people around him. He always had people with him. In Proverbs 17, 17, it says that a friend loves at all times. It says, but a brother is born for a time of adversity. I came across this quote today by a guy named G.K. Chesterton, which he's a dead preacher i like to read dead preachers sometimes but he said this he says in prosperity our friends know us but in adversity we know our friends everybody wants to come to a party not everybody wants to come to a fight i need to know the people that have my back let me say another way there's a lot of people that will gather when i'm paying the bill how many people will pay the bill to come help me Now, this is not a long list for me, but I have friends that I'm a phone call away and I'm either in my truck or on the next plane out of here to be with them. That's the kind of friend that I'm, and and the same is true for them. If I called, they're coming. No explanation needed. Why? Because we've committed to one another. Our goal is not to do this thing for a while. Our goal is to finish together. Like, well, when do you finish? When we start going to heaven. Or Jesus returns, one or the other. See, having life-giving relationships are not a luxury. 
They're not. You can look at that and say, man, this sounds great and it preaches good and all that kind of stuff. It's not a luxury. It's actually a necessity for you. It's a necessity for me. It really is. See, what happens is that, and, and, and look, and I understand, look, I've been burned just like you've been burned. I've been burned in the church just like you've been burned in the church. Here's what I can tell you. Christ heals wounds. He will send people into my life that, you know, even, I can't give you the scriptural reference for this, but I was thinking about this this, this week, is that, <clears throat> that in the gospel there's actually a, a phrase, and it talks about the venom of a snake called an asp. And it actually talks about needing to remove the venom. When people say things, there are life and death in right there. And when somebody bites you, it's not just the bite, there's venom. And we bite verbally. And we say things, not everything, but it stings and it leaves a mark. What do you do with venom? I had, one of my nephews got bit one time by a snake in his ankle in their backyard. And they had to go and get the venom removed from his body. Why? Because if you don't remove the venom... The effects just get worse. See, we need to get into life-giving relationships. Why? Because it makes us stronger. It makes us better. It heals us. We need this. But what happens is, is that we can actually say, well, I've been bit and I don't want to get bit again. I understand. Look, I've been bit by a dog. I don't need to do it again. I'm a little cautious. Not afraid of dogs, but I'm not just like, hey, buddy, how you doing? Like, <laughs> we're going to find out if you're friendly or not. But what happens is that we can get hurt. And, our, and what we'll try to do is to insulate ourselves. In other words, I'm not going to put myself out there. But what happens when we do that is that insulation brings isolation. And when we get isolated, we become a special target for the enemy to attack. So I have a little picture for you to help kind of just drive this home. You know what you call that in the background? A pack. You know what you call this zebra in the front? Lunch, dinner, snack, whatever. Why? Because he's by himself. My question for you is, which one are you? Because you have a lion coming for you. That's a sobering thought. It should be. The Bible says that we have an enemy. He's like a roaring lion. doesn't say that he is. But he says he's like it. In other words, he will make a lot of noise. But he's looking for what? The one that's isolated. He's looking for the easy target. Why well, go after the herd when I can just take that one? So let me like really bring this down to a very base level. Is it okay if I'm like super honest for a minute? I'm going to invite you into my world. I'm going to tell you two little quick stories. Well, they're true stories, but one of them is in the past and one of them was this week. So I used to work... Uh, Long story, I used to do electric work and uh, this and that. And, and so I worked with a, a, the electrician was a good friend of mine who also happened to be a pastor. And so we were both pastoring churches doing electric work. And so we got to build a pretty good relationship. And over time, we kind of had this joke. It was kind of sarcastic. And then there were some days it kind of had some truth to it. Um, but we would get in the truck on Monday morning. Like, well, how was the weekend? How was church? And some weeks it was like, we didn't even get to that. And it was like, whose day is it to quit today? Because yesterday was horrible. You know, and so we would kind of hash out. It was actually very healthy. It gave us a place to kind of just talk, right? But it was kind of this funny joke. And so uh, Dustin Martin, who's been here before, one of our other friends, had come to minister at my buddy's church that weekend. And so we're like, hey, come to work with us on Monday. So he gets in the truck and we're like, well... Dustin, are you quitting today or are we quitting? You know, who's quitting today? And the whole joke was is that we both can't quit on the same day. And if we do, we got to go find a friend. You know, because this is not a pity party. What I do is a unique thing, unique pressures. It's very social, very hyper-social. And so statistically on a Monday, this is going to be a very wonderful statistic for you. Like 80% of pastors deal with depression on Monday. 
So if you want to pray for me, pray for me on a Monday. That's a good day to pray for me. Why? Because you physically exerted yourself and the build up to it and all of these things. And I won't get into all the details, but you're like, are you telling me you're depressed? No. Have I been depressed? Yes. So I know how the signs. I mean, I told Derek yesterday, I was here praying, studying, preparing this message, kind of putting the finishing touches on. I got home and I told her, I said, hey, I'm going to go outside and I'm going to go tear some stuff up. (laughs) Where's the chainsaw? (laughs) Like, I need to get outside. Why? Because I know that's good for my mental. She can go tear some stuff up for a minute. That's why I rent houses sometimes. Because I get to break a lot of stuff. It's a lot of fun. So that's kind of a funny story. Let me, let me give you my really honest moment. I'm just going to be real transparent for a minute. On Wednesday of this week, I got up. I had my devotional, my prayer time, started the day off right, and everything was good. And, you know, I get on social media to check stuff and make sure nobody's trying to contact or this and that. And then I saw a picture. And I won't go into the details. It ruined my day in a moment. I was instantly angry. Now, I know you never deal with this. Ever. It ruined my day. The moment I saw it, I could feel it just. And then I let the devil get in between these two little ears. And he started giving me his counsel all day long, all day long, all day. And look, and I know better. I don't mean this wrongly. I've taught you better. All day long, though. Chatter, 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 chatter. I mean, Dare even, I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was that day or not. She's like, you're kind of salty today. I'm like, I'm salty every day. But I was that way all day long. I mean, it ruined my day. I was frustrated. I was agitated. You name it. I was experiencing that negative emotion all day long. I didn't want to talk to nobody. I didn't want to be around anybody. Just leave me the heck alone. This was Wednesday, people. This week. But I'm thankful that I had a small group that night. By the way, that I had to lead. Praise Jesus. Hey, Derek, you know that small group we got tonight? Yeah, I'm going to need you to lead that. Like, and it wasn't that I had even, in, like, just for clarity, it's not that I had even mentally made the, like, the separation, like, I got to get my stuff together. I got to lead this group. But something began to happen when I started engaging with other people. I forgot about the frustration, the agitation, the anger. I started laughing, started joking around. Proverbs says that laughter is good like a medicine. I'm giving out, even though I've been, the nice word is ticked off all day. And something began to happen when I got into relationship and and, and just conversation. Like, well, what did anybody say that made you better? Nothing. Just my perspective changed. I quit fixating on my frustration. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like you get on something, you just can't get off of it. And it's just a a toxic circle. See, something I believe very special happens when we gather together with people of like-minded faith, of like hearts. That's why I encourage you to be in a group. So that you can know people and so that on your bad days, you got a place to go because you don't need you don't need to be by yourself. Some days, and we all have them, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. We say it; we're better together. Let me add a little qualifying: we're dangerous alone. We really are. 
left to ourself and our thoughts without the input of, of right relationships in our life alone is dangerous. Really is. We shared this last week, but Proverbs tells us that iron sharpens iron. And on that day, on Wednesday of this week, I needed a reason to take my attention off of myself and direct it to others. Now, I wish I could tell you that I prayed and I got my heart right and the Holy Spirit came and butterflies were there and it was beautiful and there's a sunset on my face. And and I had this euphoric spiritual moment. It wasn't. I started grilling some burgers. And then I started thinking about other people and then all of a sudden... So here's the truth that I'll tell you. This truth is true for me and it's true for you. It's that I have found that we can be way too petty when we lose sight of our purpose. You'll get petty in your marriage when you lose sight of God's purpose for your marriage. You'll lose sight. You'll get real petty and, and start complaining and nitpicking things at your work when you forget why God puts you there. Again, let me make it real practical. You'll lose your cool in front of non-Christians because you forget that God has assigned you there. But when I remember my purpose, I remember, hey, I can't fly off the handle because I'm a representative of Jesus. And I can't just say anything because people know what I profess. But I can, look, we all have the capacity for petty. Every one of us. You can apply it to every relationship, but petty ruins relationships. It will destroy relationships. I shared that with you last week about Donna and Jerry, what she had shared with me one time about, you know, both of them have lost their spouse and they got married a number of years ago. And she, incredible wisdom, and just said, you know what, there's just things that we just don't talk, we just don't, not even, they're not worth talking about. I'd have never let my, my husband, my first husband, Scott, get away with that. Never. She goes, now it's just kind of, I just laugh about it. Just let it roll off because it's just not that important. But yet we're willing to die on a hill for something that's like, that's dumb. I mean, I've shared this before multiple times, but when I was about 15, 16 years old, we're putting the Christmas tree together and my parents were arguing about getting a divorce if the Christmas tree had two pieces or three pieces. And I'm laying under the tree, stringing the lights going, I'm about to go take this tree and burn it in the front yard. What are y'all talking about? Legit, not making it up. Like the statement was made, do we need to call the attorney? And I'm like, you guys are worse than middle schoolers. And you're my parents. Who cares about Christmas? Let's just cancel Christmas. I'd rather have my family. But it's petty, right? We have to remember, why am I here? What am I doing? Why do I matter? Because God has you here for a specific purpose and a reason. It's not by chance. You're not in the, in the environments that you're in just by happenstance. No, God has, has strategically placed you in those environments so that you can shine brightly in a dark world. It's true. One last scripture this morning as I wrap up. I've been sharing this at our leadership luncheon. We have a luncheon on Tuesdays where a lot of the staff is there and a lot of our key volunteers and people come and kind of hashing out details and organizational things for the church. And about five or six weeks ago, the Lord just dropped a scripture into my heart. And we've actually been sharing it in our huddle, which is where the dream team comes together every Sunday before service. They have a little devo. It's kind of a, a little, hey, anything you need to know about going on. But we've been sharing this verse over the last number of weeks. And really, it comes from uh, something that I want to see shift in our culture. You're like, what does that mean? It means the things that we're identified as a church. And I take responsibility of it because I'm the first culture carrier. In other words, I set the pace that we run at. And this is an area that I'm endeavoring very seriously and very focused, very intentional on, that we're going to change. And it starts with me. You're like, well... What does this have to do with? It has everything to do with what we're talking about. The scripture comes out of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. And it says this, it says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. We actually talked about that in the previous series, like hold fast to the faith, hold, hold fast to be ready to give and uh, to really share your faith with those around you. It says, hold fast to your faith. 
In other words, don't get weary. And it says, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. And it goes on here and it says, let us think of ways, let us be creative in ways to motivate one another to acts of love and of good works. Let us motivate one another. Let us cheer one another on. Let's celebrate one another. And it goes on here. It says, let's motivate one another to acts of love and of good works. October 15th, we have serve day. We're getting out of the building and we're going to go love our city well. And I know this, it's a lot more fun if I go with other people than go out there by myself. It's just more fun. Scripture keeps going. It says, and let us not neglect the meeting of ourselves. You can, this is multiple things. This could be coming to church, coming to a service, being on a team, being in a group, going to discover. In other words, connect like relationally. This last week I was, we were talking in that same small group and I asked because I had planned on doing in person and then a Zoom. And everybody pretty much said, I'm not coming to a Zoom call. We've had all the digital interaction that we want. If you do that, I'm not coming. There is something. I mean, there is, and I can't fully explain it, but there is something. Let me give you an example of this. Somebody can tell you that they love you on the phone, but when you get a hug, it's different. They say, I love you. And there's that embrace. It's different. I can't lay hands on you through the computer. That's not a knock to anybody watching online today. I'm thankful that we have technology. And we can leverage technology to our advantage, but it cannot become a replacement for relationship. We are not designed for digital. And I don't care how technologically advanced we get. God designed you for relationship, face-to-face, interaction, honest, open communication. So the scripture goes, let us not neglect the meeting together of ourselves as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. What does that mean? It's saying, hey, we can see the signs of the time, especially as we see... What the Bible says is going to happen, the Bible is unfolding right before us. I mean, I've heard about it my entire life. Except now I can see it. This nation is doing this, this nation is doing that. Go read about the Abraham Accords. The Bible told us it would happen like 3,500 years ago. Nations who have always been against Israel have all of a sudden said, Hey, we're, going to, we're friends now. It's in the Bible. And yet the Bible here tells us that we need each other, especially as we say the, see the end coming. Why? Because we live in a discouraging day. And twice in these couples, in these three verses, it says to motivate and to encourage. And so what we've been doing in our staff meetings, even in huddle, is that we pick somebody out and everybody goes around the room and says, hey, this is what I admire about you. This is what I see in you. Because it's easy to be critical. But here's the thing about being critical. The more critical you become, the more critical you become. And sometimes we can only see the negative because we stop even looking for the good in people. And you can apply that to many relationships. See, we're called to encourage, to motivate, to strengthen. And the reality is is that we cannot do that without proximity to the family got to be in relationship like well I don't know how to do that here's an easy one go to lunch with somebody go to dinner with somebody I make the joke but I believe it's actually true when you open your mouth you open your heart food makes friends I mean make a meal for somebody invite them to your house you're like oh my gosh I would never do that how bad do you want a friend are you willing to make the investment into these relationships here's my last statement and then I'm going to pray and we're going to be dismissed this morning at the end of the day this is what I know to the core of my being I know this is that we is better than me we is better than me this church is better than me 
Why? Because it's not dependent on me. It's dependent on we. And if we're going to fulfill what God has called us to do, it's going to require us. Not me, not a select few. It's going to require all of us to be able to do it. So let me pray for you this morning. I, uh, I want to, you know, last week I prayed as well a similar prayer to this. But I, I want to pray over you this morning is that God is going to bring right relationships into your life. All relationships are better when our relationship with God is right. The vertical has to be right before the horizontal is ever going to work. Why? Because we need the help of the Holy Spirit to be a good friend. We need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to be a good friend. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will kind of nudge you and be like, hey, you need to call that person. I ain't calling them. Call that person. Call that person. Okay, fine. I'll call them. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for calling. I, I just needed somebody to talk to. The Holy Spirit will help you to be a better friend. And then the Holy Spirit's going to nudge other people to reach out to you on your rough days too. But we need that relationship with God first. And so we're going to have some prayer partners up here in just a minute. We're going to worship together before we dismiss. But if you're here today and you're like, man, I need to get my relationship with God straight. I need to get it squared away. I need, I need... come down here, let them pray for you. They're going to give you some wisdom. If you don't have a Bible, we want to get you a Bible. If you need some resources on your next steps, we want to get you all those things. And so as we, in a moment, I'll invite the prayer team up. We're going to stand and worship. Come down here, let them pray for you. They're going to give you everything that you need. But I just want to pray over you this morning. I want to pray a prayer of blessing for you today. So Father God, I just thank you right now. Father, I thank you for your presence. It's even in this room right now. Father, I thank you that healing can even happen right now. Father, whether it's in our mind, whether it's in our soul, whether it's even in our body. Father, I thank you for your healing power right now. Father, the wounds of our past do not have to stay wounds and they don't have to stay scars. But Father, I thank you that you can even redeem our pain and heal our pain and restore our pain. And so Father, I thank you that you're moving and working right now in every heart. Father, I ask you for those who need friends, those people that need righteous friends, those who would spur them into good works and and into their relationship with you. Father, I thank you that you're going to give them wisdom to see people around them that you've called around them, that you've placed around them for this season, for this time. But Father, I thank you that even if they can't see them, I thank you that you're bringing the right relationships into our lives. Those that we can speak into, those that can speak into us, those that would be mutually beneficial relationships where we help each other grow and help each other succeed. Father, I thank you that your desire, your plan is that we would be in relationship. Healthy, strong, vibrant, God-honoring relationships. And so, Father, I thank you that just as much as we desire it, that you desire it. So, Father, you said in your word, if we lack anything, all we have to do is ask you. And you'll liberally give us. So, Father, if we need friends, I think that you're going to provide the right friends for us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.